You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Reunited at long last, the Show Before the Show podcast returns to its full degree of completion. Samuel P. Dykstra has rejoined the show from his two-week sojourn across the Atlantic. Hello, Sam. Good to see you. Hello. I I thought about coming back with an Italian accent, and I didn't know if that would be worse to the Italian community than Chris Pratt trying to do Mario. Yeah. Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, I'm going to speak in my normal American general New England accent, which I use all my R's. Uh, But it is good to be back. Um, It was good to take a little bit of time off. Recharge the batteries a little bit. Uh, I had to miss out on the winter meetings last week. I listened to last week's pod. Obviously, a lot going on there. And it was good to hear that that was back in San Diego. But most of all, I missed you guys. So it's good to be I honestly had no idea that you were going to listen to the show. And I got your uh, middle initial right on purpose while you were gone. The first episode thinking like, nah, he's never going to hear it. And then you sent me a message and said, thanks for getting my middle initial right. Um, I didn't have any plans of of actually giving you the satisfaction of hearing me point out that your middle initial is C. But uh, Ben, you've got Sam back with you to your right. Do you feel whole again? Because I do. Yeah, I do feel whole again. It's always great to have Sam back. Uh, he was gone for a long time and um, the office felt empty without him. My life felt empty without him. Um, I had a little like countdown clock at home on my, on my living room wall. It was like, you know, counting literally the seconds until Sam Dykstra returns. Um, you know how like, there's like, you know, when there's like a playoff game and you turn on the MLB network and it's like this many right. hour, days, hours, seconds to like, you know, game three of the world series. I had like that for, but for Sam. People were like, oh, your clock seems real early for the holidays. And you're like, no, 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 no. This is not a countdown clock for that. It's for one specific holiday, the return of Sam Dykstra to the Show Before the Show podcast. Uh, So we welcome you into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show with Samuel Dykstra and Benjamin Hill in New York City. My name is Tyler Mon. Guys, we are just kind of, I phrased uh, this this way to our interview guest on this week's episode of the Show Before the Show. Minor League Baseball kind of goes into just like a soft landing before the holidays. Like it's a real gradual sort of quiet slowdown. We're out of the unveilings of, you know, new team names and logos and things like that. And that usually goes on in November uh, teams. I would imagine team retail operators are probably saying like soft landing. What are you talking about? But uh, things get quieter and quieter as we head into the, the, the holiday break and then everything ramps up uh, as we kick off the new year. But we really are just sort of into the, uh, Certainly not the doldrums. It's like the nicety of the the calmness of right before the holiday break around the minors. Yeah, it really is, and and I think um, yeah, I think it's like that for a lot of uh, industries, but I think baseball in particular for two reasons. One, because it's so go 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 and so all encompassing for during during the season um, that everyone needs a little bit of a break. But then off seasons stay pretty busy as well with all the planning for the next season. But I've always looked at the winter meetings, which, of course, took place in San Diego earlier this month as sort of not it's not like after the winter meetings, baseball stops for the year. But I think that serves as kind of like the unofficial end to, you know, sort of the baseball 
business for the year. Of course, teams are still thinking, they're still planning, they're selling merchandise, but that's like the last hard fest event for everyone to really focus on and all the uh, news notes and information and awards that come out of that. And then it's, I think, gives a lot of people a chance to say, you know, let's slow it down and take some time off because after the holidays, calendar flips and all of a sudden those opening day countdown clocks, just like my Sam Dykstra returns clock, uh, they're just getting closer and closer to zero and then it's go time. We should say this is also from a minor league perspective, like major league front offices. There's obviously lots of gearing up and we'll get into that. You and I, Tyler, in a later segment, like there are signings that are happening now. Um, I think a lot of teams try to get their business done before Christmas and and before the break, just so you can go into the new year, having some semblance of a roster when there isn't a work stoppage, like we had last year, obviously that threw a wrench into so many things. Um, And sometimes you have a year where like Bryce Harper and Manny Machado don't sign until February or March. That hasn't happened this year. But on the Meyer League side, in which you're not having to make these roster decisions, these personnel decisions, um, they are allowed to have a little bit of a softer landing, which sounds like just a healthier place to be. And with that, uh, as Sam teased, we will talk a little bit more about what's going on uh, on the major league side, getting set for uh, the continuation of prospect growth into 2023 and beyond. Uh, we got a fun conversation sort of away from the playing field this week, although it directly relates to what happens on the playing field. Minor League Baseball awards handed out uh, at the winter meetings last week in San Diego. We've got uh, year to year, you know, we talk about the golden bobblehead and we talk about best promos and and front office successes and executives that are honored and all that. Um, We've got some different awards uh, on the minor league landscape this time around. And Ben, one of the areas of a minor league ballpark that really helps the whole engine run uh, is the clubhouse attendant. And ordinarily, I think most people think of the person who works for the home team, but there's a visiting clubby at every ballpark as well, which is a very different job from what a home clubby does. Um, and this week, we're going to speak with a visiting clubhouse attendant recognized for his contributions to his team and his league. This is a very cool and kind of unique conversation on this week's episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mario Guerrero with the Visalia Rawhide working out of Valley Strong Ballpark, I believe it is now called. I I know it is Recreation Park, I believe, for for many, many years. Um, But we don't get a chance to – I don't want to say we don't get a chance. I guess we always have a chance. But we have not taken advantage of opportunities uh, to speak to uh, clubhouse managers recently, and especially from the visiting side, um, where, of course, a lot of the duties remain the same with food and laundry and uh, taking care of player requests, but very different as well in that you have a – constantly rotating cast of characters. So uh, once Mario Guerrero with the Rawhide was announced as the uh, California League's visiting clubhouse manager of the year, we thought, um, yeah, let's check in. Let's check in with him and uh, learn a little bit about this job. And that's what we like to bring to you here on the show before the show podcast. You know, let other baseball media talk to the big name free agents and the major league general managers and, the you know, the maneuverings that have hundreds of millions of dollars attached to them. That is not our concern, or it might be your concern, but we talk to the the real people, the real the real people. We're on the ground with the realist. Of We're on the them. ground. Yeah. yeah, I have populist roots, and uh, we talk uh, to a visiting clubhouse manager. So let's do that before I become even more uh, sanctimonious. Mario Guerrero joins the show next. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Here on the show before the show podcast, we are joined by Mario Guerrero, the visiting clubby or clubhouse manager of the year in the California League. uh, And he works for the Visalia Rawhide. Uh, Mario, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Excited. And congrats on being the visiting clubby of the year in the California league. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, we've never met before. We're talking for the first time. Mm-hmm. I didn't know much about you, but saw you on the award. We thought it'd be great to talk to a clubby. I Googled your name, found a LinkedIn page, and this was your first season on the job, correct? Yes, sir. And be- before that you had done more work in sales and that sort of thing. So, you know, I'm curious, how does one thing lead to another where you switch to, you know, working in minor league baseball on the clubhouse manager level? Um, well, I, I've been a customer service and sales my whole life. Um, me, I'm 35 now, so I barely graduated my degree in kinesiology uh, this past May. And I thought it's time to get in. It's time to do something somewhat related to my degree, you know. Um, I need to just get in. Um, I took jobs because it was a sense of security and stuff. But I was like, hey, I need to take a risk um, get in sports, change my whole schedule. You know, I'm, I'm used to the typical nine to five thing. Um, that's all I've ever done. And, um, yeah, I just basically reached out to the stadium and I said, Hey, I need a job. <laughs> I want to, I want to work in sports, something surrounding sports. Um, wasn't really looking for something in sales because that's, that's all I've done. Um, but somehow the customer service part of my career transitioned well to helping out all the, the players and coaches. Um, so that, I think that really worked in my favor, um, helping out these guys, um, you know, just making sure they have everything they need every day, um, so that they don't have to worry about the little stuff and they can just focus on the game. And this is a job with long hours, um, you know, perhaps not sunrise to sunset, but well, always after the sunset for a night, for a night game, that's for sure. Um, you know, how prepared were you to go into a job? like this and get used to its responsibilities and uh you know once you kind of got accustomed what is more or less a you know quote-unquote typical day like um i think i had zero preparation for this job (laughs) like i like so i went through like three different interviews in a way um because they really didn't know where to put me they knew i was i was going to be useful but they just didn't know what, what way you know um so when it came to you know meeting with my um my boss orlando um, he described the job to me. And at the time I was still like, Hmm, I was like, this sounds cool. You know, just helping out day to day. Um, my days were typically like 12 to 12, um, depending on the team. Some teams are a little bit more needy than others and they want to get there a little more earlier or some want to stay a little longer. Um, but, um, that really didn't phase me at all. The 12 hour days I'm used to eight hour days, you know, before this job. Um, so it wasn't really a big deal. Um, I'm sorry. What was the other question? No, I think that that was the question. Just, uh, you know, what a typical yeah, okay. day is like, and I know yeah. it's minor league baseball can be, uh, 
unpredictable for sure. Um, but I think another thing to get into, you know, based on that is a home clubhouse manager obviously works with the same team yeah. from day one to the end of the oh, season. Yeah. Uh-huh. Visiting clubby, you've got the visiting team. So you get to know the entirety of the league um, a little fresher that way, but it, I'm sure it adds some new challenges as, as well in that you're constantly adjusting to different teams and uh, their different needs, like you said. You know, so so what's it like to to work on the visiting end, and uh, you know, how did you adjust along the way as you got used to literally the entirety of the league? Um, I really enjoyed it just because I get uh, new personalities every week. You know, like you you have the Dodgers. I mean, the, the Rancho Quake Dodgers come in. You see them, you enjoy it. You hear their stories, and then they're gone on Sunday. Then a new team comes in, and and, and I really like that. I like socializing. I like um, meeting new people and just hearing different things and. Um, it was nice to get a sense of um, how every team operates too. You know, like you kind of learn how the organizations um, treat each other and uh, treat their employees and stuff like that. Um, so that was a good way to, to um, that's why I kind of like the visiting role. Um, as far as the home side, I mean, you have different coordinators coming every week. Um, you see the same guys. So you build a relationship with those guys for six months and it, it's pretty fun. Um, but even then I still like, I like seeing all those different guys, um, come in every week. Yeah. And between all those people you did get to see this season, you know, with that rotating mm-hmm. door of the California league, I feel like clubbies always have some of the best stories to share about baseball. And I'm not going to ask you to share some <laughs> yeah. of the most salacious stuff. I'm sure you saw some crazy stuff, but when you look back at this being your first season, what are your, some of your favorite stories and favorite experiences from having gone through this? Um, I'd say like when you have like, um, like the big leaguers come in for rehab, um, that was pretty cool. I mean, I haven't been a baseball fan for two months, but I still like, it was cool to like be around those guys. Um, we had a uh, Tommy Canely come in who was with the Dodgers last season and just re-signed with the, the Yankees. Um, Daniel Duffy came in. Um, and then another one was, um, that whole, um, Juan Soto trade. Um, that happened. We had one of the minor leaguers in the clubhouse who got traded on the bus. He was on the bus to Barcelona. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, he, he basically was just sitting there the rest of the day, just like, you know, kind of, it was sad. Everybody was kind of sad because, you know, you build a relationship with your teammates and they're in there just like, man, he's gone. He's, he's leaving us. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was, I think uh, it was uh, James, James Wood. Um, who he was like one of the best hitters in, in the whole Lake Elsinore storm and um, which they went and not on to still win the championship. Um, but that was like a sad day. Like you Sometimes you, it's, you see emotions on TV of these players getting traded. Like, um, you know, like they've been with this organization for a certain amount of time and, and, and all of a sudden they just hear their name and they're no longer with that team anymore. It's, it's, it's kind of sad. And like I said, it was, it was a quiet day. Everyone's just like in awe, you know, and then they're just waiting for the next guy to get traded because you never know what's going to happen. You know, it's, it's a business. And so basically just just there for the ride and see what happens to, you, you know, it is uh, very crazy that way for, for players. It's one of the things that we've always yeah. talked to players about on this show is like there is very little chance that we're going to walk into work one day and they're going to be like, all right, we traded you to uh, the NHL. 
and you no longer yeah. work for MLB.com. But on a player level, uh, you kind of get to form relationships with these guys, Mario, even though they're mm-hmm. coming through, uh, you know, and you don't have the same guys every single day. But I'm fascinated by you said earlier that you felt like your uh, your background working with people in, you know, customer service or, um, you know, those relationships that helped you a lot in working with players. What was that experience like? Like, how did you kind of first, how did that lend itself to working in your current role? Uh, um, You just got to know how to talk to people sometimes and how to like react to, you know, what people say, like to, to be able to help them. And like, it's, it's kind of like a like customer service. You, you just discover their wants and needs. And basically it's the same thing for baseball players. What do you, what do you want today? What do you need today to, to help you do better on the field? You know? And that's just, I mean, it just worked out well. It, um, you know, I don't, I don't mind doing it. I don't mind helping people and, and, um, and just, you know, it, it makes my day to make people's day happy. You know, uh, I think that's what it comes down to. That's a pretty cool answer. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, you, uh, I'm one of those people who, as anybody who's ever listened to this show will know, I'm like a uniform and logo nerd. Uh, ben and I have, and Sam, we all have conversations about like our favorite looks in the league and all that. Was there any team that came in like whose gear you especially liked or like a player whose gear you especially liked? Uh, is there anything that stands out of like, oh, this team brings a lot of stuff that other teams don't bring teams travel with so much equipment nowadays, um, you know, to help oh, yeah. out in measuring, you know, different uh, biometric things and all of that. Was there anybody that really stood out? I was like, oh, I'm kind of digging what this team's got. Um, I liked, I, I paid attention to their shoes and cleats a lot. <laughs> they they had a lot cool of nice answer. cleats. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, the, I mean, there was, I can't remember what team it was, but a lot of them had Mike Trout's. And I was like, I got to get those. And like next week, <laughs> I went and bought awesome. some like trout shoes. My first ever baseball shoes. I was like, I don't know, pull these off, but I'm gonna try. And then when I first wore them, I was like, everyone's getting compliments. But um, yeah, no, I mean, everything, every everybody was. Um, I mean, there was just nobody that really stood out on anything else. I mean, yeah, some teams did bring too much equipment. I think the the Rancho <laughs> Quake Dodgers brought too much stuff and too many people. <laughs> but that's about it, you know. Like, you know, some like your. You know, there. I think the team's only supposed to have like thirty players per clubhouse, but yet it seemed like there were sixty people in there. Sometimes, you know, it's like, <laughs> who are all these people? But most of the time, it's like an extra coordinators and stuff coming in, and and um, you know, you just try to try to make the best of it and make sure everybody's being uh, being helped and everybody has what they need to get their job done. Um, and I just, you know, I stand in the corner and just kind of wait there sometimes for them to 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 ask me for help. Yeah, and, and and throughout all of this, as you're learning more about this job, I'm sure as the months were going by, what was the most surprising thing about being around baseball that long? You said before, you haven't been a baseball fan for that long. You get to learn about the shoes, you get to learn about what they need, but what was the most surprising thing? Mm. I'd say like, uh, I, I think... I think it was how much food was ordered and how much they would actually order out on their own. <laughs> like, you know, they, I, I understand they were eating like the same food every day and they were, I mean, there's, there's some criticism about, you know, that the, they're not taken care of well as far as the food goes, but they are there. I mean, I ate so much leftovers man every day. It was, it was awesome. Um, but it was, I think it was crazy to see them come in, you know, with, with McDonald's, Chipotle, um, KFC, 
Dunkin' Donuts. They would bring all that stuff because they were just like, um, you know, tired of their food. But at the same time, it was like their coaches would get mad when they saw them come in with that stuff because they're not supposed to be eating that, you know. <laughs> and uh, I think that was pretty surprising to me. Um, just, you know, but they're a lot of them are kids. They're 18 years old and that's all they know what to eat is Taco Bell and McDonald's, you know. Um, and they're still they're still learning. Um, you know, they're still growing up a little bit. Uh, some of them, are, of course, were drafted straight out of high school. Um, so they're still learning their ways, you know? Yeah. And after this first year, you know, you have those, some of those surprising experiences, what are you going to carry into year two? It, you know, when you come back and you have your feet under you, obviously it was good enough to win an award. Like it, yeah. year one w- went really well, but what are you going to carry with you into year two? Um, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm very happy at the, uh, for receiving the award. I, I definitely feel like I did do a great job and um, I think I just want to just be better, you know? Um, I don't know. Like, um, I don't know if there's anything new I'm going to bring to the table, but I, I know I'm just going to make sure I'm going to keep helping these guys out. Um, I don't know. Like I said, just, just, just to keep improving my customer service for them, you know, and just make sure. Um, they're taken care of. Yeah. And, uh, you know, working for the Visalia Rawhide, um, one of the oldest ballparks in the California league, um, you know, been around for 70 some years now. I mean, I know Uh there's been a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of improvements through the years, but definitely one of the smaller facilities out there. Um, you know, does that make it tougher, a bit more of a challenge when you're, you know, handling the food, doing laundry, um, just attending to the clubhouse in general, or do you find that the space is, uh, you know, adequate for what you're doing? Um, yeah, it's pretty adequate. And, um, you know, I've heard some horror stories about other visiting clubhouses that doesn't make me feel as bad as ours, you know? Um, I mean, there, I think the last week of the season, um, like the air conditioner was leaking in the clubhouse and it was getting over the coaches stuff like that. But I mean, they, they, they don't make too much of a deal of it. I, 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 um, I make sure I try to take care of them and stuff. And, um, you know, as far as the food deliveries, um, I mean, nothing was really, you know, I didn't have much complaints about the the stadium. I mean, you know, it's obviously like, like you said, it's an old place, but there's things to work on here and there, but I, I think I really wished, uh, my, my laundry room was in the clubhouse somewhere. Like I had to walk outside by the stadium with all the fans and stuff, um, to take the clothes out and, um, that was probably the only thing I just wish it was like inside. That would have been cool. Um, and I heard other stadiums all have theirs inside. Um, but still, I mean, I, it's, it's a nice stadium. They've done tons of upgrades over the years and, um, I really liked it. I, and I can't wait to go back next season still. Yeah. 100%. It's a really charming place to see a game and a yeah. lot of history, uh, in Visalia. Um, if you had to estimate how many loads of laundry do you think you did during the course of the 2022 Oh, season? man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I said, there's what, like 60-something games, home games, I think, um, times maybe four or five loads per day. So it, it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. You know, it's, it's, it's nobody's favorite thing to do, but, you know, what? like I said, it's my first job in sports, and I'm, I'm slowly going to work my way up to, you know, get where I want to be, you know. I don't mind doing taking care of that for them. Yeah, and uh, you know, winning the 2022 uh, visiting clubhouse manager of the year award is a is a great start for this career in sports. But when you talk about working your way toward where you want to be, 
you know, what are your goals in this industry? Big picture. Um, I, I definitely 100% want to stick with baseball. Um, I, I, I do enjoy the whole minor league system, seeing these guys start at the bottom as well and work their way up, you know, um, it, it's, it's nice to see these guys get drafted, um, start at the bottom. And then, you know, you got to work your way through the farm system. Um, and I, and I feel like I want to do that as well in a way, you know, maybe it's not in the, the clubhouse manager role, which I, which I do enjoy. I'm going to keep doing it. Um, but breaking it, I've been breaking it down lately and, um, I'm, I'm leaning more towards the strength and conditioning coach um, because that's really all I've ever done or that's all I know. Um, I was a personal trainer for five, five years. Um, I did get out of that, but I think that in the end, you know, when I, when I'm finished with my career, I want to be able to help all these minor leaguers, you know, reach their way to the top and uh, do that by uh, a good strength and conditioning program for the team. Cool. Well, we'll, uh, we'll be following your career going forward and, and wish you the best, but for now, once again, congrats on uh, being named the visiting clubhouse manager of the year in the California League. And uh, thanks for joining us on the Thank show you. before the show podcast. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Thanks to Mario Guerrero for stopping by from Visalia, the home of the Rawhide, and a big congratulations to him as well. Minor league ballparks do not function without people like Mario, and uh, pretty pretty awesome to be able to just kick off a new job and uh, win the award for being the best at that job in your league. Pretty cool stuff, and uh, and a big congrats to him. And uh, with that, we're going to talk some on-field baseball stuff, and we are going to start with one of the big dominoes falling in Major League free agency this week as Carlos Correa has signed with the San Francisco Giants and uh, now becomes a guy who is looked at as, you know, potentially helping the the Giants make another push toward a National League West division crown, uh, but they're still in the same division with the Los Angeles Dodgers and uh, with the upstart and money spending San Diego Padres as well, who continue to just try to make their entire team out of middle infielders. Um Sam, the story in San Francisco now is interesting because you have a guy who is a proven star at the major league level in Carlos Correa, but the top prospect in that Giants organization is someone who plays that position, and that is 21-year-old shortstop Marco Luciano. Now, from what we have seen from Marco Luciano so far in his career, uh, he has been Pretty good everywhere he's gone. He started his career in 2019, played at rookie level in a short season, uh, was outstanding in 38 games uh, in the rookie level Arizona League at that time before it was known as the Arizona Complex League uh, in 2021. Played at two stops in A ball uh, at single A and at high A and was very good between those two stops. 2022, he was back at high A for the majority of that season. Only played 65 games combined between two stops in 2022. But the skill set is very pronounced with Marco Luciano. He's still young. He's still a little ways away uh, from the big league level. But this is not a stopgap measure for the San Francisco Giants. Carlos Correa signed for 13 years and $350 million. That is the most expensive contract 
ever given uh, to a shortstop. And that's a, a guy that you're going to be building around now. Carlos Correa, by the way, 28 years old. So that contract will carry him into his 40s. Uh, and it's kind of crazy to see the money that teams have been handing out to guys now who are in their 30s. There was a time just a few years ago in baseball where it looked like, ah, nobody's ever going to give a contract to anybody uh, you know, past their early 30s anymore. That logic has been uh, reversed yet again to where it formerly was. But what does this mean now, Sam, for Marco Luciano? Because all of a sudden, you're a guy who's very highly touted and is climbing the ranks, but now you're blocked to the big league level. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is always a question we have with every free agent signing or every trade of what are the trickle-down effects? Because major league deals always have minor league repercussions in, in some way. Well, this is one of those instances in which it should be a very, very small voice in the back of somebody's head, especially those fans in San Francisco of like, what does this mean for Marco Luciano? Because at the end of the day, the Giants have signed a superstar. Carlos Correa is a superstar shortstop. You need uh, you need superstars to make the playoffs, to make deep runs and into the playoffs towards the World Series, especially in a deep NL West like you were talking about before, Tyler, with the Dodgers always being a presence and the Padres looking like they are going to be perennial contenders for a long time as well because of the way they've been splashing the cash and, and making trades like they did in the middle of the year with Juan Soto. That being said, it's even if it's a small voice, this is a minor league baseball podcast. This is a uh, prospect podcast. It's going to be a little bit bigger for us. We do have to think about these trickle-down effects because every major league deal has minor league repercussions. So this does mean something for Marco Luciano. Now, who is Luciano? He's our number 16 overall prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. Uh, he is there because the bat speed is really good. The power is really good. He has a chance to be at least an above-average hitter, if not a little bit better than that. Uh he was just added to the 40-man roster for San Francisco. They didn't want to tempt losing him in the Rule 5 draft, even though he's topped out at high A so far. It makes all the sense in the world. You don't want to lose a guy like that with, with such a ceiling. Somebody would take him and try to stuff him on a major league roster. But when we're talking about the shortstop position with Luciano, that becomes a little bit more interesting because, yes, Carlos Correa is your starting shortstop. Luciano, his number one question is actually who he can be defensively. The arm is plus. He has enough arm to stick on the left side of the infield, but the defense at, at the six has been pretty fringy. Now, you, there's a chance the Giants are going to keep him at shortstop. You don't want to move him off uh, for a while, but it would be behoove them to kind of move him naturally to third base, allow the arm to play, worry a little bit less about the range, um, give him time to get used to that position. I wouldn't be surprised if they make it now, if they start to do it now. Now, that being said, you look at somebody like Jordan Walker last year. The Cardinals go out and get Nolan Arenado. Now, all of a sudden, we have all these questions about Jordan Walker, and he ends up playing third base for most of the year, even though that's Nolan Arenado's position at AA. And then he transitioned to the outfield about around August, and then he played all outfield this year in the AFL. Marco Luciano, maybe the first half he starts to play shortstop, but as he gains more and more upper level experience, would not be surprised at all if he moves over to third. So this could still fit in the Giants' long-term plans. There is a possibility that you still have Carlos Correa at short and Marco Luciano at third base. Perhaps as early as we'll see how this year goes, this year goes, he needs to be healthier and needs to get more at bats. But maybe if they're in it together and, and Luciano tears up double A and, and hits triple A as well as we think he could someday, even though this is his age 21 year, maybe we're having that conversation in September about playing those guys together on the infield. Big changes coming for San Francisco Giants fans as to what you will see at the big league level, but uh, pretty awesome stuff. 
in uh, making that National League West even more dramatic and more intriguing at the big league level between the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Padres, of course. And uh, we will keep an eye on all the prospect implications of all these deals as well. And that's where we shift for uh, our next topic, which is big deal that went down this week. And uh, reading from uh, our good friend Mark Bowman at MLB.com, quote, Sean Murphy is the Braves' new catcher of the future. Murphy was acquired from the A's on Monday afternoon as part of a three-team deal that also included the Brewers. And here is the key element for our purposes. To land the highly regarded catcher, the Braves parted ways with all-star catcher William Contreras and the club's top-ranked prospect per MLB pipeline, left-handed pitcher Kyle Muller. Now, the A's came away with four prospects uh, into the organization, which uh, becomes, you know, over the last few weeks of wheeling and dealing, uh, adding to depth in that system. Um, the one, obviously, who stands out from this deal, Kyle Muller, uh, was the 44th overall pick in the second round in 2016. and you know, gives you an option. Uh, he's 25 years old, somebody who can compete and be in the big league level uh, on the squad and the rotation. Uh, then there were the Milwaukee Brewers who were part of this as well. And we're going to talk about them. But Sam, first, from the perspective of what this does for Oakland and for Atlanta, uh, the Braves thinning some of that talent by shipping uh, some players away and Oakland rebuilding talent in the system. Obviously, a big struggle at the major league level last year uh, with what they dumped from the big league squad, but getting some talent into that organization to try to build for uh, whatever comes next for the A's, whether in Oakland or elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to start with the Braves here just from the major league side, just so we can get it out of the way, because Sean Murphy is the the headliner here. Um, I didn't think the Braves were necessarily going to be the team to pull this off. You look at teams who needed catching at the beginning of the the off season. And I don't think the Braves were necessarily there. Um, you mentioned William Contreras having a good year. He started as the DH, mind you, not a catcher. And I know he has some issues defensively, um, but he was a pretty good option for Atlanta last year. Travis Darno, another pretty good option for them. Uh, th they seem to be doing okay, but Hey, listen, if you want to go back to the world series, like they did last year, not this year, but last year, uh, you need to make improvements. And even if it's incremental improvements that, a place where you think we're okay, we're solid. If you can get a guy who Sean Murphy, I think, is a top five catcher in the game right now, that's a pretty big deal. That's 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 something you might, might want to swing if you can find it. Um, so the Braves did pretty well here getting Sean Murphy, I think. And then you look at, yes, who is their system now? What is, what is left here? Because you mentioned Kyle Muller being their top prospect who has moved in the trade, but he's not a top 100 prospect. They didn't move any top 100 prospects in this deal. Uh, it's a, already one of the worst systems in baseball for a good reason. You know, it, it, they've been contending the last few years. They've graduated guys like Michael Harris II, like Spencer Strider, like Von Grissom. Uh, they've done a good job of graduating those guys to the majors, but who's left is really rough. And you look at Fre Freddie Tarnick, Roiver Salinas, who had great strikeout numbers last year. Freddie Tarnick, like Kyle Muller, made the major league. So both of those guys give the A's some major league ready options. Uh, but you know, if you were the Braves, I don't think you gave up an incredible amount here. Yes, you gave up William Contreras, uh, which is tough to swallow, but you definitely improved behind the plate. I think the Braves came out pretty solid. You look at who the A's are now. They are a system. When you trade Sean Murphy, it should be, I'm not going to say a complete farm system rebuilder, but it should be something where you look at the system and you're like, okay, here's a clear star that we have, somebody we can point to. I don't think they got that. In this deal, the person we haven't mentioned yet, 
And Tyler, you mentioned how the Brewers got involved. The guy they got who I think they think is the headliner is Asturi Ruiz, an outfielder who was with the Padres uh, at the beginning of last year, showed some real good improvements in terms of re- getting on base, led the minor leagues in, in stolen bases last year, has true 80-grade speed, again, reached the majors as well, can be a really good defender in center field, and the A's have already said they have plans for him to start there. But the power really isn't there. I mean, he was, I think, the fourth lowest in hard hit rate last year in the major leagues uh, out of, I want to say, 400 uh, guys with at least 15 balls in play. Um, He does not impact the ball very well. Maybe the A's are looking at this, you know, what's coming to the major leagues next year, bigger bases, pickoff limits, things that are going to encourage base stealing. Maybe Ruiz has more value in that world. Um, but he's not a top 100 prospect right now. I mean, he he hit everywhere he played, but he doesn't have much power. If you're looking at it, it he at his best, he might hit like an empty 280 with 50 stolen bases and good defense. Again, that's valuable, but that's not top 100 level. That's not somebody who's going to remake your franchise uh, in a way that I think they maybe could have gotten elsewhere. Maybe if right. they had pulled off a deal with the Cardinals, some rumors about out there of like maybe Mason Wynn would have been the headliner in that deal. Mason wins a significantly better prospect than Asturi Ruiz. So it's a little disappointing from that. You know, Oakland can only pull off the trade that the way they evaluate guys, maybe we're all missing something here on Ruiz. They expect him to be their opening day center fielder, which is a heck of a thing because they've made a deal with the Braves in the past that brought over Christian Pache. And we thought Pache was going to be the long-term answer in center field. doesn't look like that's going to be the case after he really struggled to hit this year. But um, this is Ruiz's second trade. Like I said, he came over from to the Brewers from the Padres uh, in the Josh Hader deal in the middle of the year. And the fact that the Brewers have already flipped him uh, is not a great sign for how they evaluated him after getting to see him for a couple months. Um, but, you know, we're just about to touch on the Brewers, so I don't want to get too ahead of myself. So with the Brewers – in this uh, landscape, they acquire William Contreras, uh, an all-star catcher, um, but also uh, Joel Pamps, Justin Seeger. The Brewers are a team that, you know, for the last really decade, they are at or near the top of that division. Uh, and it seems like the moves that that team makes uh, are generally very savvy. They might not be the sexiest moves right out of the gate. But then you look down the road and it's like, oh, yeah, that that deal worked out pretty well for Milwaukee. Um, what are the biggest headlines of this from the Milwaukee's perspective for you, Sam? I, it, when, when I found out what the deal was officially, um, I immediately was slacking people just being like, they pulled off a three for one here. And not a three for one for William Contreras, who, again, is an all-star last year. That would have made more sense to me. Like the Brewers were one of the teams that needed to update catch or upgrade catcher. They do that here with Contreras, even with the rough defensive numbers. They have a pretty good history of helping guys improve their framing. So maybe they can unlock something with Contreras. But if they had traded three guys for an all-star, would have made sense. No, they acquired three guys and all they let go was Ruiz. And you look at what the Brewers system is now. I mean, the the strength coming into this offseason for them was in the outfield. Jackson Churio is their top prospect. Sal Freilich, Joey Weimer are top 100 guys. Garrett Mitchell made his major league debut last year. He can really, really run. They're still trying to determine who he is. Asturi Ruiz was basically their fifth best outfield prospect. They traded him away and got three guys back. That's incredible business. I mean, the Brewers, 
I wanted to declare them the winner of this trade just because this is not something that would happen. If this happened in a vacuum, if we just heard about this trade on its own and not part of a bigger deal, I think it would be the talk of the industry. Now, instead, it's Sean Murphy going to the Braves and the Braves becoming closer to, you know, NL East contenders and World Series contenders and all that. That's great. That that should be the focus. I'm just flabbergasted about, by the way, the Brewers pulled this off. Good, good for them. Um Again, dealing from a place of strength, it's not like all of a sudden we're sitting here wondering what is the future of their outfield without Asturio Ruiz. Churio has the highest ceiling by far in the system. Sal Frelick hit everywhere last year and got better as the year went on, hitting above 300 at AAA without striking out a bunch and, and walking a good amount too. And he's really athletic and can be a center fielder in his own right. Um, I, it's just a lot to like here for the Brewers. Good for them for involving themselves in this trade somehow. And, you know, apparently the A's didn't want William Contreras. So you w- would have made some sense if they could go- could have gotten their own long-term catcher out of this. Um, but they uh, obviously value- evaluated Asturi Ruiz to be much better than that. And now I'm going to be keeping a close eye on how they use Ruiz. And can he surprise me and maybe add a little bit more power or become like a 100 steel guy, I guess? Uh, that's how you'd have to justify this. All right, Sam. Well, we are, as noted, heading into uh, the holiday break here coming up soon on the minor league side, especially on the major league side. There's still a lot of dominoes to fall. Um, a lot of it in free agency, you know, Dansby Swanson is still out there, et cetera. Is there anything that you think, especially from how it could affect prospects or anything out there that you see is like, oh, this is this could be a shock move that may happen uh maybe not even necessarily in the in the short term like the next couple of weeks before the holidays but what's the next domino that you think falls yeah i I don't know when or if this is ever going to fall but i'm continually checking in on twitter and just wondering if and when brian reynolds is going to be traded from the pirates yeah i when you look at who is left you talk about the free agents and we all know who the free agents are but in terms of the trade market, we thought the blockbusters still out there were Sean Murphy, who everybody knew the A's were, were trying to trade, and Brian Reynolds, who has directly requested a trade out of Pittsburgh. Now, Pittsburgh already has a pretty good system. By the way, they just won the draft lottery uh, last week. They will have the number one overall pick again right. in 2023. So we know they're going to get deeper and add more ceiling uh, come July next year. But they could swing a deal here for Reynolds, and are they asking for the moon too? Like. If I'm then, I'm still trying to beat the Sean Murphy trade. I'm trying to get at least one top, top 100 prospect out of this. Uh, is anybody going to pay that for Reynolds? Are are people waiting for the outfield market to kind of settle and and see where guys go? Like Andrew Benintendi's still out there. And there, I know this blockbuster just went down and we've had some other deals here and there, but it seems like a lot of teams are just value, valuing signing guys to contracts. And you're like, all we have to do here is give up money. And that's more important than trading our prospects uh, and trying to swing some of these major deals. Uh, you know, we had to wait for Wilson Contreras to sign with the Cardinals before the Sean Murphy trade happened. Right, right. Um, so maybe we wait a little bit longer to see where some of these outfielders sign and then some teams decide, okay, I'm willing to pay through the nose or whatever the Pirates price is for Brian Reynolds. Or do the Pirates like come down off a huge asking price and decide like, yes, 
Brian Reynolds, we have you. We could keep you going into opening day. But if you're distraught over this news, is that any good to us? We might as well make the trade while we can. I don't know. That That's, I think, the next big one to fall. And what does the pirate system look like after something like that? Because it's already pretty solid right now with Henry Davis getting Tamar Johnson in last year's draft. Quinn Priester, who said the other day he wants to be the rookie of the year in the NL next year. Andy Rodriguez was a breakout guy next year. Like the, the pirate system is already a pretty good place. It would get deeper, but you're losing arguably your best player in Brian Reynolds. So something to keep an eye on. Whether it's before the holidays come here in, in a week and a half or um, something even that goes into spring training and it, will Brian Reynolds be heading to Bradenton? We'll have to wait and see. So stay tuned. That's what we can tell you over these next few weeks. And as we head on into 2023, a whole lot more to come uh, from Major League roster decisions and things that will affect prospects going forward. And uh, we're going to step aside. Josh Jackson swings by for a delicious edition of Ghosts of the Miners. And we're back to wrap up the show next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua jackson welcome back to ghosts of the miners in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair one had a product on the field you could see. To root for the others, you need blind faith. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A, the Aroostook County Nine Spuds. B, the Kennewick Taters. C, the Idaho Falls Russets. You've got great taste if you picked C, the Idaho Falls Russets who broke ground in the Pioneer League in 1940, returned to the earth when the league paused for the war in 43, then dug in from 1946 to 1961, nurturing baseball in the seat of eastern Idaho's Bonneville County, encompassing land that the Great Feeder Canal had turned into some of the most fertile and productive in the nation, as Idaho Falls farms became known for grains, alfalfa, and, of course, potatoes especially the Noble Russet variety. Idaho Falls had a team known as the Spuds in the late 1920s, and as the city's growth spurted with Spuds production in the surrounding area, the Berg planted the Russets with seeds of a franchise relocated from Lewiston, some 300 miles northwest across the state. For their first two seasons, beginning with their inaugural campaign of 40, the Russets were a Yankees farm club, but with those roots established went free range in 42. <laughs> in those seasons before the demands and consequences of the nation's involvement in World War II put most minor league circuits on hold, Idaho Falls rose to considerable heights 
making the playoffs in 40, featuring Pioneer League strikeout leader Jack Hawkins' 246K campaign in 41, and coming in third in 42. But it wasn't until 1952 that the Russets harvested a league championship, once again playing without an affiliation. By that point, Idaho Falls had already partnered with all three New York teams, as the Russets paired with the Dodgers in 48 and buttered up to the Giants from 49 to 51. The title-winning 52 Russets club didn't exactly peel out, going 27 and 31 into the beginning of July. But Red Jessen, the team's mashing all-star first baseman and manager, and ace right-hander Ken Kimball had the Russets skinning the competition the rest of the year to finish three games behind the Pocatello Bannocks, whom they practically boiled alive in the finals. Three games to none. But the Russets were a complex carb, or complex club. <laughs> as well as they performed on the field, and although they kept their eyes on the box office intake and saved their own bacon bits many times over the years, they were always tottering on the brink of financial doom. Such would be the reality for Idaho Falls teams for decades, but the Russets got a sweet new partnership with the Yankees in 62, and they played under the parent team's moniker that year. And that's how the Russets got sacked. Aww. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these teams was something to marvel at way back in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Valhalla Thors. B. The Toledo Ironmen. See the Walla Walla Wolverines! Want to know the answer? Check the funny papers. Or tune in for the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is roasting some chestnuts, and they can't take a joke. Huge thanks, as always, to Josh Jackson for stopping by with Ghosts of the Miners. Josh and I had an extended uh, exchange on voice notes today about eggnog. Are you pro or con? I'm not a big fan. Uh, well, you and Josh are missing out. I mean, it just uh, needs more eggnog for you, man. Eh, like, that's true. So it, that's know. true. I do like that. Um, all right. Before we wrap up this week's episode of the show, uh, give us some of your favorite moments from Italy. Sam was in Italy for <laughs> 10 days-ish, eight days-ish, 10 days? Eight days. Eight I think days. it was eight days, yeah. Okay. And uh, we missed you for a couple episodes of the show, but let's let's hear a little rundown. You did watch some of the World Cup uh, while you were on foreign soil. You were not at the World Cup, but you got to watch it in a different atmosphere. Very cool for you. Uh, what else What else was uh, among the highlights? Yeah, it. of course, I go to Italy during a World Cup a, in which it's during the winter. So it, it, it was a little bit colder outside. It wasn't terrible. It beats, you know, 42 degrees in New York. It was like 55 every day. But two, Italy's not in the World Cup this year. Um, so there wasn't a big celebration around this year's event, uh, which I get. It, but it was still fun to watch the game around some other folks. Like I watched one Switzerland game in which there were more Swiss people than I've ever been around in my life, which makes sense. It's not that far from Italy. Uh, but I went to Rome for three days. I, I went to... Um, Florence for two days, and then I just drove around Tuscany uh, for two days. Highly recommended if you ever get a chance. I know it's not a trip everybody can do, but if you're ever offered the opportunity, uh, go check it out. Um, everybody there mostly spoke English, um, so I don't speak that much Italian. I felt embarrassed about that. 
at every turn, but they, everybody was super nice about it and very helpful. Uh, honestly did have some of the best pasta I've ever had in my life. Uh, I want carbonara to become like an everyday dish in my life. Tyler, did you have it when you were, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's amazing when uh, my girlfriend and I went to Italy before the World Baseball Classic qualifier in Germany in September. And what we kept saying over and over is the thing that is most stunning about Italy food wise is when you realize how amazing everything is, but how simple it all is like, that's yep. incredible. It's like, oh, here are five ingredients and they make up the best thing you've ever tasted in your life uh, just because the the technique and the care and the quality and all of that. Oh man, it's amazing. Yeah, carbonara just, I would not turn down on a daily basis either. It's My just doctor insane. probably wouldn't like it, but still. Right. I mean that that's the thing is that's very rich, but it's it's eggs, it's pasta, eggs, cheese and bacon. Like that just sounds like an American breakfast and yet it's delicious. It every bite was something new. Oh man, I, I was a big fan. Um also the wine is better over there. Uh it was exquisite every time I I ship some bottles back uh with me for Christmas presents. Um, because I'm sure they would be much more expensive over here. Uh, but yeah, it honestly, my favorite part of the trip might've been just driving around Tuscany. Uh, if you ever get a chance, not just to drive around Tuscany itself, which was gorgeous. And I looked out the second day, it was sunny skies everywhere. It looked like it was out of some, some movie or something. Um, but just, it's one of my favorite things to do in any country that I go to is just drive around. You know, it's one thing to, to go to all the touristy sites, and I really like the Vatican, and I really liked going to Il Duomo in Florence. But um, you just get to a sense of what the the area is like so much more by just stretching your legs, going out and seeing other places, um, driving through some of these cities that were like perched on hills with oh, medieval yeah. gates going around them. And I was just like, I don't uh, – this was definitely not designed for driving, which is great. Uh, you know, you have to go th slow through there and all that, but just things we don't have in America. That's, that's what I love about international travel is just seeing what else is out there. And, um, you know, very grateful for the trip, uh, but came back with a renewed energy and, uh, excited to tackle everything else that's happened back here stateside. One of the things that is the most amazing thing to me about one of the things that is the most amazing thing that didn't make any sense. <laughs> One of the things that stuns me every time I go to Europe, uh, especially, but to a lot of other countries, you just walk by like a garden variety building in Rome and it's like, oh, right, that's older than our entire country, you know, by like far, that, yeah. by far. That's like two times older than our entire. It's stunning uh, and it's pretty cool. So we would recommend it highly to you. Uh, well, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Big thanks to Mario Guerrero for swinging by from Visalia and for Josh Jackson, Benjamin Hill, and Sam Dykstra. My name is Tylen Mon. We'll catch you next week.